Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits here at the Recycle Garage in a little bit of a dreary Saturday afternoon in Santa Cruz, California. Yeah, the sun will come out. It always comes out. The sun will come out hopefully soon. We're ready to get some riding in. Anyway, as you can tell, this is not Liza coming at you live from the studio, but Naked Jim. And with me today, running the soundboard, we got Liza. <laughs> hey, everybody. To my right, the lovely Knot. What's up? And Mean Mug and Mike, living large and in charge to my left. How you doing? He's pregnant. I'm <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> His water might break any moment. It might. <laughs> anyway, so why this is a special episode of the podcast is today in the garage, uh, we're really fortunate to have one of the hot up-and-coming bike builders, Matt Harris, with 40 Cal Customs out of Alcoa, Tennessee, is joining us today. So, hey, Matt, what's hey. up, man? Oh, man, just enjoying the cold weather. <laughs> right? We're complaining out here. It's a little dreary. What's it like in Tennessee today? Oh, 28 degrees and cold. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Nothing a little uh, a little local white lightning won't take care of, I'm sure. So well, we may have some of that on there. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, we, code for carburetor cleaner. That's it. <laughs> so uh, if, if you don't know Matt, uh, he's a, a custom bike builder out of Tennessee, Uh just a couple of little little nuggets. Uh, he's been on the Discovery Channel with his bikes. Uh, he's he's had bikes at Born Free. Um, I could go on and on, but Matt, I, th- I think it's probably better if people hear from you. If you had to describe yourself to the people that may not be familiar with the custom scene or may not be familiar with you, how would you describe yourself in 40 Cal Customs? Oh, man, I don't even know. <laughs> no, we're just, uh, just a little old shop here in Alcoa, Tennessee. It's just a shop literally in the backyard of my house. And uh, we're building some bikes, all different kinds of bikes. We do anything from choppers to race bikes, flat track bikes, drag bikes, hill climbs, scramblers, you name it. We've we've done uh, most all of them. Uh, raced at Bonneville and um, everywhere in between. Man, you're, a, you're an awfully young-looking guy for that kind of history. Uh, I love the breadth of what you're doing. How did you, you know, to get where you're at, tell us a little bit about how you got into bikes and, and the beginnings. Well, I grew up working on hot rods and race cars with my dad. Um, and living in the South, a lot of people have dirt cars. A lot of people have late models that run on the, the clay ovals here, high bank ovals. So it's pretty common to, to be at the racetrack on Friday and Saturday night, be it at a round track or at a, at a drag strip. So, and there's a pretty big car scene here too. A lot of hot rods, traditional hot rods, that sort of deal. So I've just kind of been immersed in that lifestyle for forever. And, uh, I always liked motorcycles, but honestly, growing up, uh, my parents wouldn't let me have one, uh, because, uh, my dad had. He had one for forever, and, and he got rid of it before I was born because uh, I felt like motorcycles were dangerous. Didn't want me to get hurt. Nah, so, come on. <laughs> oh. Mike, is that what you're going to well, do? I wasn't allowed to have a motorcycle. Yeah. And uh, I think that's another reason why I liked it so much was because it was something I wasn't supposed to have. Right. So it uh, kind of drew me to it. And um, But anyway, when I was 17, uh, my dad finally got another motorcycle, his first one in 17 years. Um, he bought a 51 panhead. So, um, and it was back whenever no one wanted really old Harley. So no one really wanted a 1951 Harley Davidson pan. So he bought it for peanuts and that was all he had to ride. He rode it everywhere Hmm. and, uh, didn't have anyone to ride with. So he drug home this box of a 69, uh, Harley Sportster 
and it was literally in boxes and said, well, here, if you want to ride a motorcycle, you have to figure out, put this thing together. <laughs> Is that right? So t- talk a little bit more about how, what you had to do to get that bike running. So uh, I had to, had to weld the cases back together and, and literally from the engine being torn down to no two pieces being together, um, had to start from there. So, you know, I had to learn how to put everything together and, and especially never working on a motorcycle before. So it was a little tricky. Yeah. And so I know you do a little, you do not just a little bit of fabrication, but quite a bit. Something I found really fascinating about, you know, you, you talk about a little shop in the, you know, in the back of nowhere. We got a little shop with in the back of nowhere. Yeah. You've got a pretty cool setup there. Talk a little bit about the, the machines you got. Your, I, I would even call it a collection, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah, our, our shop here, we kind of went around and bought a bunch of old machines. Um, and it's pretty cool to, to use them, uh, especially here. Where we live, there's a lot of industrial places that have been here for forever, and so old warehouses, old businesses. We have a, a, a giant lathe uh, that was made in the, the late 30s, early 40s, and um, you know it's still belt drive and dangerous, and makes noise and loud and slow and nasty. And <laughs> we've got an old mill that, that came from Italy that was built in 1957, and. Uh, another lathe that was built in the 70s, an old bandsaw, big, humongous bandsaw. And so we just have a lot of these old tools. Like my, my old bead roller was uh, made in the late 1940s for the railroad. And um, so we got all these old t- old tools and old machines, and it's pretty cool to use them because when you run this old machine, you, you think, you know, Man, 60, 70, 80-plus years ago, there was a guy who went in every day to his job and earned a living on this machine. And what all kind of parts has this thing made and, and where those parts been and who all's used it? And, you know, it's, we joke, like, you know, sometimes these old machines got more stories than a Bible. You know, they, <laughs> they, they could talk. I'm curious, where are you finding these tools? Uh, just here and there, you know, word of mouth. Hey, old so and so's got this, and he wants, you know, however much for it, and you know, go and wheel and deal and bullshoot, and you know, drag them out of somewhere and get them running again, and and try to put them back together. So they're not always in working condition. So uh, I get a question. So that that first bike you had to put together, you know, uh, from boxes. You know, what breaks yeah. down more, that bike or the old machines <laughs> that build the bikes? I pushed that friggin' bike more than I ever rode it. I promise. You that. Like, which one are you maintaining more, the machines or the bikes? Yeah, no kidding. That bike was oh god. The machines are solid. Right. I mean, that's the thing with the old machines. Mm. They're super simple, and they don't wear out and they don't break. If they do, it's something really stupid simple. So it's that's pretty easy. I don't yeah. think they came up with planned obsolescence in the, in the 30s. That wasn't like a real thing then. You know, they wanted yeah, it, no, to, they wanted it forever. to be there. Yeah, you notice it on that old stuff. Where, you know, old trains are like that. Or if you go on an old ship, you know, all that metal shit, it just works. You know, but It's funny when you talk about, uh, about old trains because uh, I got uh, I got kind of roped into helping out on a project. There's a big locomotive shop uh, not far from here, and they restore old trains. So this past week, I went over and worked with them on a 1922 model locomotive. Get out. Um, yeah, we were on the tender box for it, the big 7,000-gallon uh, water tank Jesus. and 2,500-gallon fuel. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's, it's pretty cool. Chris yeah, Singsheim. and talking about old craftsmanship and stuff like that. Chris Singsheim would, would love 
that stuff because it's all he does is ride around on his bikes and look at history stuff and especially railroads. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I love railroad shit, and it's all big. It's all big, heavy, massive stuff. So you know, so you had this kind of this humble beginning of putting stuff together, but you've kind of come come away, obviously, and. You're almost kind of re- defining a style, right? And what are we calling it, a southern style of bike building? Man, it's really hard to say, like, oh, it's this. You know, a lot of guys will say, oh, that's a West Coast-style chopper or a New York-style bobber or, or what have you, Florida-style custom. But either way, you know, we kind of do that that southern style where it, it's, you know, maybe a little raw and gritty. It kind of has an old soul to it, you know, mix new parts and old parts and, you know, it, you know, comes from comes from us, comes from the mountains and the region that we live in. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 our style. Yeah, right on. A little little white lightning, hard scrabble shit, right? Pardon my French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, what determines kind of the look of your build? It, it, is that something that you have already in your head, or do you start putting it all together once you have the frame and the jig, or you place the engine in the frame, or is it one of those kind of organic kind of things where it just kind of happens as you do it, or it, it, what? what's your plan for something like that, typically? Well, usually whenever we start out with a bike, we, we kind of you know, what what purpose is this bike going to serve? What are we going to do with it? Okay. We, we do so many different styles, like choppers or race bikes or, or whatever you know it's what are we planning on doing with it or, or what is the customer planning on doing with this bike are they going to ride it are they going to ride it in the mountains are they going to jam on it what are they going to do kind of starts there and then we start with the engine what kind of engine are we going to use right you know, and then it, it just kind of starts to go from there yeah i mean we'll have a quick sketch or a general idea or general direction, but most of the time it's pretty loose based and, and we just kind of go with it and, and, and listen. And, and, you know, we really do say, and we mean it that, that a motorcycle, whenever we build it is, is part of us. And it's not just, Hey, I made that and that's cool. It's like, Hey, this is part of me. That motorcycle may be a reflection of your mood. You know, sometimes there's meaning to it, to us. So I've got a question for you. Something that we do a lot here in the garage, the reason we're called the Recycle Garage is we like to reuse things, you know, get inspiration, but also reuse things from other bikes and cars and stuff like that. And like I saw the bike you built with the uh, strut suspension. The spring strut. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, are you do do you is that are you do you do that a lot? Do you find yourself repurposing things and what kind of things have you done? Oh yeah, yeah. We use a, a lot of car parts. Actually, like I said, we we, we all of us kind of grew up around hot rods and stuff, so we kind of knew cars before we knew motorcycles. So yeah, we've used, like you said, we used the leaf springs on on a motorcycle that we built. Uh, coincidentally, that same motorcycle that was the one we built for hot bike speed and style that we took to Born Free uh, in 2015 yeah. and we used uh, the Harley 120R power plant and then we used a uh, Hilbert mechanical fuel injection system for a sprint car and uh, <laughs> the, frame, the frame rails were actually uh, 1936 uh, uh, Ford wishbone uh, rails that we cut down and, and made frame rails out of so it's like, a, like a mad scientist there's your southern style <laughs> <laughs> that's it's, awesome uh, so we used a lot of those parts, and then uh, last year we built a bike that we took to SEMA, and uh, we used a, a, a rocket racing wheel, a 15-inch mag wheel on the back with a, with an M&H Racemaster drag slick for a rear tire. So we used a car wheel and tire on the back 
Um, what else do we use off of cars? I use the Rochester carburetor, downdraft Rochester carburetor off a 250 Chevy <laughs> on one of my shovels once. Nice. Stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, so like I, I from what I gather is when you build bikes for your customers, it's largely performance based, but when you build a bike for yourself, how much level of death trap do you put in your machine? Like how scary does it have to be to ride to to, to be enjoyable? <laughs> Man, usually you, you know, you gotta you just gotta work properly and look good first sure. and then we'll worry about being comfortable later. Right. So you know, I don't know, usually whenever I look at it, I'm like, well, man, I'm the one riding it. So as long as I can deal with it, we'll be okay, right? Right. right. <laughs> but they all work, and they're all rideable motorcycles. And sure. That's the one of them. Yeah, but what what is it you have against front brakes? I'm just curious. Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we fucking go. <laughs> they only slow you down. He's like, what if they only slow you down? Front brakes, is that a thing? Yeah, now, you know what? I've started using front brakes lately, but we've built some some performance base. Like we built an XR here recently, and it had front brakes that worked really well because it was made to go rip in the mountains. Yeah, uh, on the on the twisty roads and stuff, and and all our scramblers have front brakes. I got a question. Maybe because we've had this discussion before on the podcast with uh, some other custom builders. Maybe you could explain the appeal or the the rationale behind. Why, why don't you have them? Is it to, to loosen up the weight on the front? Is it taking the cable, stripping it away? Like, why do we take the brakes off the front for a custom bike? What What, what is the... Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. It, it cleans up the way that it looks. It, it cleans up the front end. It, you don't have a, a master cylinder or a brake cable going to it. You don't have the hand control. And then, you know, it just looks a whole lot cool. It looks very minimal. And then also... Like we ride here in the mountains, and most of the choppers that we build are foot clutch shift with no front brake. So you really kind of got to be involved with the ride when you're riding it. You have to, you have to stay on top of it. So I got a question. I'm talking about repurposing stuff. Uh, I may be wrong, but I was looking at some of your bikes and just getting really into the details. It's something I love just to really see. You you can really see what a builder is doing when you get into the details and there was a shift rod on a bike that i'm it looked to me like you made it out of rebar that had been um like planed down or turned down am i close uh was it a shovel red white and blue shovel yeah i think so okay yeah no that was um you know what i we built that bike literally out of like a hodgepodge of stuff, and we got the bike down. It was all, all but I needed a clutch rod, so it, it worked from the you know from the clutch pedal to the to the okay. transmission. And we wanted to go ride that weekend. We were trying to trying to make this ride, and all that I had left was we had built a fence for a guy, <laughs> and so some of the ornamental iron that went into the fence we had left over. So that is redneck ingenuity, right? Well, it, it's funny, Matt. You- <laughs> I hear you refer a few times when you're talking about these builds, and this is some creative stuff. It's I love hearing about it. So maybe you could talk more about who the we is, right? Because um, I know you've kind of transitioned in your life a little bit. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, and now you're full time bike building. Uh, but but uh, yeah, you got some help, huh? All right. So yeah, um, I know I talk about I, ha- I say we a lot whenever I talk about forty cal because it's not it's really not just me. it's my friends and my dad and and these guys come over and help me out all the time because I get stuck in the middle of of biting off way more than I can chew pretty regular. (laughs) Right. So, um, 
a lot of times I, I get a little bit over ambitious and uh, and, and end up having to have somebody come help bail me out. So, does that but, mean uh, that that uh, that you're open to suggestions, or are you like a bike Nazi? I mean, do you do you get a vision and you you help you enforce people, you know, help to get that vision, or do you like okay, I, I can't figure this out. Can you can you you know give me your idea and then you take the idea and and work together with it? I mean, how does that work? No, no. Whenever I have these guys come over and and help me out, like I said, you know, my buddy Chase, he's a, a great guy and and he he's not the most experienced fabricator, but he he really knows like what something should look like. So he's always my guy that I ask like, hey man, does this look stupid or you know you know because he has a great eye. My buddy Carp is a machinist by trade and carries a mechanical engineering degree. So that always helps too. Like, Hey, is this going to work or is this, you know, is this a pile of crap? So, and, and uh, so uh, the, those guys work well together because they complement one another because Chase has loads of personality. Carp has not much. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody needs an ideas guy. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, you know, that that works really well. And then, of course, my dad comes over and helps out a great deal. He's been a fabricator for 40-plus years, so he definitely has the, the fabrication knowledge, and, and he's the kind of guy that just makes it happen. All right. Well, I got. I just want to go back to something Nock was talking about because that struck my interest is the uh, the inspiration for – um, for your builds, like you're saying that there'd be a purpose build first, right? And, and I do leather work. So when I'm doing leather, like the first thing I'm thinking is like, well, what do you need? You know, that's going to be functional. And so it's like, they give me the concept of what they're going to be using, whatever it is for, whether it's a seat for a bike or a knife holder or a book cover. But then, right. you know, at that point I start talking to the person about, you know, them, because it's, you know, I think they're building a bike and having a bike, like even watching you on the videos, it's like, you're so proud of the bike that you're riding because it's a functional piece of art. Right. And, and say the same thing would go for leather. But I mean, at that point, it's like when you're customizing for someone else, it's it's you want to you want uh, for me, I like to talk to the person and say, well, we're, what's important to you now? You know what I mean? Like, what would you like yeah. this to say about you? And then and then from that point, I start to draw up a couple of things and go back and forth. And usually they love it because, you know, when you when you I feel like when I interpret someone, you know, for them on their behalf, they love the way that you're you're showing them. I mean, does it is it the same kind of with motorcycles does that follow through like do you start a bike and and then you have a vision and then as you're going through it changes to adjust to that person i mean how does that go oh yeah 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 absolutely you know whenever someone comes to you just like you said when someone commissions you to do a a, a piece of work for them you know they always have a purpose or a reason for why they want it or, or at least a general direction of where they want to go and they're going to someone to get it done because either they don't have the means or the capabilities to do that so you know, they see it in their head and you want to try to make that a reality to them. But at the same time, they came to you for a reason because they like your influence that you have on your work. So, you know, a lot of times we always try to have a, a real loose, open relationship with the people that we're working for. You know, hey, we're going to do this. But as we get going, you know, things may change and, and this and that. We we'll always keep them involved and keep them posted on updates of what's going on and always make sure that they play a role in what we're doing. So, it is an extension of them, and, and maybe it's uh, not exactly like they wanted, but hopefully better. Yeah. So I'd like to ask, what kind of input are you getting from your dad? Because he's like the OG in the shop, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Papaw. So, he's, uh, <laughs> you know, we, 
he mostly gets mad and yells at me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Dad and I have a great relationship. And like I said, he's he's the the fabricator, the welder fabricator since way back. I uh, it's cool. I follow you guys on Instagram and talk a little uh, bit about the uh, the Son of Speed build. There's a picture of your dad grinding away on a bike there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's uh, the Sons of Speed bike that we're, we're building. Um, the the Sons of Speed is a race in Daytona during Bike Week this year. Billy Lane's putting it on. It's all pre nineteen twenty five motorcycles. Uh, so we're building this bike setup just like all the other guys that are running in the race. It, it, it's traditional, true board track form in that there's no gearbox, there's no clutch, there's no brakes, uh, just a motor and a throttle on a chassis with two big old wheels. And um, so what we're going to do, the bike that we just sent out to the one show, our 1923 Harley that we ran at Bonneville last year, when that bike gets back, I've got about three and a half weeks to pull the engine out of it, and hopefully it fits in this chassis, and we take it (laughs) down to Daytona and race. That's right. You know, it's funny you're talking about your friends, uh, you know, Chase, Carp, and your dad. Sounds like a tight-knit community that that has some deep roots in fast cars and racing and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I got to believe you guys get out there and get on some back roads and tear it up pretty good. Yeah. We've got a lot of places here that we go ride that are kind of, you know, being in the smoky mountains, there's a lot of secluded places and, and great country roads up in the mountains that you can go and just let it eat, just go rip. So we turn loose and go have a pretty good time, pretty regular. Right, but that's a lot. Uh, I imagine not riding these 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 beautiful custom bikes through there. What do you guys pull out of the quiver when you go to ride through the mountains? Well, there's a there's a group of us here that have uh, scramblers, so it's uh, we do a lot of work with Smoky Mountain Harley Davidson, and these guys have been building scramblers for the past uh, three four years since since before all the cool kids were building scramblers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were building them out of necessity so we could go ride and enjoy the mountains more. So, you know, rather than toting a dirt bike in the back of a pickup truck, we all took Sportsters and built scramblers. And we'll go run anything from the asphalt roads to fire roads. So we'll even run single track on on these Sportsters. I have to say, this really intrigues me. I love that because uh, a Sportster is not something that you, th- or, or, you know, that you think of turning into a scrambler. So what modifications are being made to the bike? Well, you know, actually, a lot of people nowadays think, oh, sports is too big, too heavy, too cumbersome to, to be a scrambler, when actually the Sportster is the OG scrambler. The, mm, the nice. 1958, 1958, and 57 was the first year of Sportster, but 58 was the first year of XLCH. And if you ever see any of the ads, the purpose of the XLCH was, was the CH was competition hot. Yeah. So nice. they were built. On the ads, they say for off-road events, hair scrambles, hill climbs, flat track races, and road racing. Yeah. And that's what the original attention was. So we kind of go back to that 1958 heritage. So a lot of our bikes kind of have a little bit of a heritage. But the first thing that you want to change is the suspension. So we always get a lot more ground clearance, usually 14 and a half, 15-inch shocks on the rear, cartridge kits in the forks, uh, longer dampening rods, that sort of deal. Uh, and obviously bigger wheels and tires. I run 19s front and rear on mine and nice. to, to gain board ground clearance. So what, uh, tire pressure I still do you run, run through knobs. I run, I run a Pirelli Scorpion MX tires on the front and rear of, of, of my scram. Cool. And then how are you doing the seat and the subframe? The the seat and the, the the good thing about the way that we build scrambles, you don't have to chop your frame. You don't cut the frame, so you don't really like 
quote unquote, ruin the chassis. It still has all the structural integrity that came from Harley. So, you know, a lot of guys will make their seat uh, a little, little bit extra pad and a little more foam to gain their, their, a little bit more leg room. Because you, you run mid controls and you don't typically want to run the, the low mids. So we, we kind of set it up uh, sort of like a dirt bike. You know, hand position, riding position is more like a dirt bike. Yeah. So out of you and your friends, who's the fastest? <laughs> <laughs> as far as in the woods goes? Heck yeah. Well, I, I tell you, it, it's tough. It's tough because we ride and, and our, our, we kind of have our group here and we joke about it because it's scramblers. So we made up this stupid name called the scrambled eggs. And <laughs> so, so out of the scrambled eggs, we got it. We got a solid group of guys, but honestly, probably the fastest guy is the oldest guy. And that would be uh, Scott Maddox. He's the guy that owns a Harley dealership. Yeah. He, no kidding. Uh, He's right at fifty years old, and man, he's he's a hard cat to catch in the woods. So, um, I'd like to know. Let's let's talk about the the custom industry because uh, it was just last year that you went full time on this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, it's been a little over a year, just a shade over a year that uh, went full time building bikes. So it's you know we're still trying to trying to gain our legs under us and. and get this thing stable so what is going on with the market we know that it had a surge like what's it been like 10 years ago and then it had a crash but it never went away just like it will never go away but it's still it's a tough business to get into how are you finding your customers well it, it, you're right it is it's it's really tough and and when uh, i decided to quit my job and, and go full-time with with building bikes it was a really difficult decision to make because just like you said, it's not what it used to be. Um, so it took several, several months for my wife and I to, to make that decision. It took a lot of thought, a lot of prayer and a lot of just searching to make sure that it was the right thing to do. And in the end it, it, it was, and I'm happy with the choice. Um, is it easy? No. Uh, you know, especially not as easy as it would have been, 10 or 15 years ago and that's not taking anything away from those guys it's just the economy was better and people were paying big money for whatever so but that being said with the way that things are nowadays people are a whole lot more conservative about spending their money and and the type of bike that they want to do and they want to purchase i I think you know a few years ago uh it's just like the old saying even a even a turkey can fly in a windstorm you know anybody (laughs) could put a bike people would pay big money for it so, you know, now I think guys that are going to make it in the industry, you've got to carry some clout. You've got to really put your A game every single day, and it takes a whole lot of work to get just a little bit of a result. Yeah. So I, I think that it really forces you to, to do, your very, you do your very best every day and everything you do because you never know where it's going to go, where it's going to end up, and you've got to work really hard for your dollar. So we know that the industry had a surge because of the awareness, um, thanks mostly for Discovery Channel, uh, Biker Channel. A lot of channels were coming out with their own shows, and everyone it became on everyone's radar. Um, I know you did um, another uh, biker show on Discovery like a year or two ago. Did that? Yep. Did, did you see any uh, surge from that? You know, as far as like, did did my phone ring off the hook? People wanting custom motorcycles and stuff? No, no, yeah. not really. <laughs> but I tell you what, it did do. We we did that show, and we won that episode 
And the thing that it did for us the most was it gave us some legitimacy. You know, I said, hey, you know, maybe these guys aren't just some hacks in a little old shop in a little old town in the hills of Tennessee. You know, it it, it kind of I think proved that you know, hey, we you know we do quality stuff, and and you know we're ready to get serious. So, what do you predict for the future? Ah, yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, you know, just. Choppers will never go away. Choppers will always be cool because they're choppers. And yep. so those, yep. <laughs> those will always be around. But I think more and more guys are into performance-oriented, purpose-built motorcycles. I see guys that I'm 34 years old, and I see guys my age and younger building bikes and riding bikes and having fun on motorcycles again. Not just building a bike to trailer and haul to a show and look cool, but a bike that they take out and ride and enjoy and have fun with. So building bikes with performance engines and brakes and wheels and tires that are fun to ride and fun to beat on and thrash, but also to make them look cool. I, I think the purpose-built performance-oriented motorcycle is 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 happening now. I think that's yeah. what's happening. It's also coming down the pike, and it's going to get really big. Yeah. Um, do you uh, work with metric bikes at all, or is it just mostly American Big Twins or – we mostly do American Big Twins, but we don't we don't shun any metric bikes, and sure. we've done a few, done a little bit. But honestly, in in Tennessee, there's there's not that many. It's, it's yeah. mostly hard. That's just mostly what's here. Right, right. I, I'm just wondering if that isn't a future trend, is working more with Italian, British, Japanese, other brands of bikes, and expanding the market. I mean. Because most the custom bike market is working with big twins. You do have some people, you know, shooting off with other cool stuff. But is that something that's on your radar at all? Yeah, no, I, I see guys using engines to build, especially when you get into the performance-oriented motorcycles, guys using Ducati engines to, to build bikes that, you know, are kind of a hybrid of their own style and their own design. Uh, building bikes to go fast you, you know especially here in the mountains you see guys building bikes that uh, the motard scene is really big yeah so you see a, lot, see a lot of ktms running around super dukes and that sort of deal so you, you know i i think that uh, you know to narrow yourself to you know only look at you know v-twins or whatever well you know then do you really love motorcycles like you say you do because if you did you would be willing to appreciate not only uh you know, 2017 Milwaukee 8, but also, you know, an Airhead BMW or, you know, whatever it may be, or an old Indian or whatever, anything two wheels. I, I love motorcycles, you know. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I think we can all relate. Are you sure you're not from Santa Cruz? Because you, you sound like you've been hanging out with us a whole bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I think uh, the, the group of buddies that I run with, I don't know, we're kind of different than a lot of folks around here. I, I don't know. We're kind of a little more open to get down with anything, you know? That's cool, man. So let me throw this then out. Um, uh, what engine would you like to take a stab at work with that you haven't before? Ah, uh, huh. I don't know. An engine that, I, that I've never worked with before. Yeah. What, what kind of powertrain would you like to On to a motorcycle? Use? Yeah. I don't know. I uh, you know there's a lot of Harley engines that I'd like to work with. I've never had a knuckle, but, you know. Okay. <laughs> but um, as far as other engines, you know, I, I, I like some of the, the the big old two stroke stuff. Some of the vintage super bikes. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. So we love two strokes uh, over here too. 
yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> that's a cool scene. And I, I see a little more of those here and there, but I've never been able to get my hands on one. So I've, I've never, you know, I've never really got to mess with one of those. Yeah. That is cool. You know, and it, it, and it, and it is funny how you guys focus on the motorcycle build, but like you said, it's a competitive business. You're finding your way. Um, you know, you have some other things going on as well. You got some parts that you're working on. Maybe talk a little about that. Yeah, we're working on some parts. Uh, a lot of stuff that we're doing is the the, the scrambler parts. Um, you know, stuff that you can take your existing Sportster and change the entire look of it. So in the sense that we all have scramblers, so we get to do a lot of testing and see what breaks that's on a stock bike that you would normally replace because right. we've broken out everything. And uh, so, you know, the things that we've got coming uh, hopefully really soon are things like sprocket covers uh, because your foot peg always tears out a good rear fender that doesn't sling crap all over your back. Everyone does bars, so we'll have bars, but good foot controls that work well. And also we're working on things like uh, performance exhaust systems, uh, working with Reinhardt Racing on doing a, a scrambler exhaust and a Brad. flat track exhaust. We're starting to do the hooligan stuff a lot here. So, cool. you know, that's the thing. So sports-based parts to get started. Now, I find that interesting because a lot of people are veering away from exhaust because of all these pending upcoming epa regulation stuff where there yeah. is that something you guys are having to work with or you know you you do a little but whenever you team up with a with a solid name like reinhardt racing they've kind of got their act together so they 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 can weed through all that sort of deal uh visit with them just a week and a half ago and uh, custom build an exhaust system that uh, we're looking to get get started here soon. And those guys really know what they're doing. Every pipe they make, they have racing in their name, and that's a true to their name. Every pipe they make either makes horsepower or they don't produce it. If yeah. it doesn't make your bike make more power, they scrap it and start all over. So that's what we're doing right now. We're testing the pipe, making sure that it's going to make horsepower, not just look and sound cool. Hmm. So are these any of these things going to be available 2017? We're hoping so. Uh, it may be late spring, early summer. So cool. you know, we'll try to get it punched out. We're going to have a couple bikes in Daytona that may have some of the preliminary parts on them. So, yeah, we'll Just see. in time for Born Free, huh? Just in time for Born Free. So that'd be cool. <laughs> you going again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to Born Free this year. Invited Builder this year. So oh, right. yeah, better be here. <laughs> right on. Cool. <laughs> what did you think of the winner yeah. last year? The uh, the double engine, uh, what was that, a Honda? Honda CB with the uh, two engines. Oh, it was a Kawasaki, right? Or was it, it was a Honda? I don't remember now. I, I didn't get to go it. last year, but I thought that was really cool because he took that bike and, and ran it at Bonneville. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that's a super cool. He was there uh, two weeks before we went to Bonneville. So I think that's cool. He built a show bike that was functional, and it did what it looked like it was supposed to do. They spent the next two weeks cleaning it up for the show. Oh, <laughs> um, man, you know, that's, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. So something I love is you don't just build them, you ride them. And you don't just ride them, you race them. So yeah. <laughs> um, first, I want to hear a little bit about your Bonneville experience, and then I want to hear about what's coming up at the One Show next weekend. So okay. what was it like at Bonneville? How did your bike do? Well, we, we took a 1923 Harley-Davidson JD. And the reason why we, we started with a, with a 23 model was because we do a lot of work with Red Cap Workwear. Mm -hmm. And the company was founded in 1923. And they said they, they came to us about a year before and said, hey, man, we want to do something really cool with a motorcycle next year. 
what do you think? And so one of us had the bright idea, like, hey, let's build a 23 mile and go race it at Bonneville. I don't know where that idea came from. <laughs> but it was, uh, it proved to be quite a task. Um, so what we did, we took the JD engine, which is typically 74 cubic inches and de-stroked it to 61 to get into a different class. And we ran a, a vintage gas partial streamline. So we had a body kit all made out of aluminum. We, we started with an engine and transmission that were junk. And uh, Matt Waxler uh, rebuilt the engine and trans, uh, some hot rod stuff in it. And we hand fabbed everything else, the chassis, the fuel tank, the body kit, everything. And uh, took it out to Bonneville and see what we could do. Had no idea what we could do. I had no idea even where the thing should run. You know, the bike made from the factory, those engines made nine horsepower and ran 48 miles an hour. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, whenever you tell people, like, you know, that's what we started with. And in the end, we ran 87 miles an hour, which we almost doubled the top speed of a bike. And when they say, oh, we only ran 87, well, you know what? Just think about if you took well, the bike you rode today and doubled the top speed on it. Think about what all that would take. Right. So we took the bike and we ran 87 miles an hour, which was really cool. And there were uh, three other pocket valve bikes there. So that sort of engine. And we ran 87. The next fastest one was 74. So the way I see it, it was a win all the way around. Did, uh, did, did, you know, was it what you expected when you went there? The scene, the people, the other cars, was it inspirational? Did you guys feel dwarfed oh. by the, uh, you know maybe some other people who might have been there oh man you know it was really cool the the bonneville scene i mean it's a true racers place there's there's no crowd there's no humongous audience over there to cheer you on and all this stuff it's everyone that is there is there for a purpose and that's to go run their machine down the salt and everyone there knows how much work it takes to get there so it's it's really when you get there it's kind of like you you belong to this family and yep. so everyone is is super cool and super great and it's it's a fantastic experience a once in a lifetime trip you know I'd I'd love to go back and hopefully one day we'll we'll find ourselves back out there Nice and talking about speed you know uh and you guys you guys love the racing I, I like that and you like the the scrambler stuff and the flat track what what is your background in flat track racing <laughs> I don't have any professional like training or experience. It's it's just been racing here, racing with your buddies or your friends or you know, same as most people. We just have always liked to go fast, so that's just what we've always done. So are you are you gonna be racing the bike in the flat track up at one show? I am, I am. I'll be <laughs> racing. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, we put together a little Sportster, sent it out. Um, it's sitting uh, over at Blue Sea Advertising right now, waiting. It's it's right up to Portland. So, um, and then uh, it'll be in the show, uh, and uh, along with the twenty three JD that we ran at Bonneville, both those bikes will be there. And then on Sunday, we'll pull the Sporty out and go slide our foot around the track for a little bit. That sounds a hoot. I love this style of racing. And you did mention Blue Sea, uh, so a big shout-out to our friends Eric Morley, our friend Eric Morley. Um, you know, he's, he's actually, we're going to, he's sending us up there to the one show, so we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to the races. Um, and just a big shout-out to Eric Morley. So um, how do you think you're going to do? <laughs> Man, you know, it, it's funny because we're going to throw in there and, and mix it up because this is the first time that I know of that, 
you know, I, I mean, there may have been someone from the East Coast sneak over to the West Coast and run in a hooligan race, but most of the time it's, it's you know, the hooligan and super hooligan stuff, the quote-unquote official hooligan stuff has always been the West Coast guy. So, you know, we'll go in and, and toss it up with them a little bit. Yeah. Right on. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So uh, when do you guys, uh, when do you head up to uh, to Portland? Uh, I will be flying in Thursday. I should be there about noon or so on Thursday. Cool. And so you do a lot of bike shows. What other shows are you going to be at this year? Well, let's see. Uh, like I said, we'll be in Daytona, so we'll catch some of the shows down there. Of course, the Sons of Speed race will be there. Then, obviously, we're heading out to Born Free to uh, out to California. Um, we're going to do the one show, obviously, but also we may try to sneak our way up to Mama Tried, which is the following week after the one show. And then um, after that, uh, in local local deal, we got with Smoky Mountain Harley-Davidson is the Black Dragon Breakdown, which is going to be a super cool event. They, it's at the Harley dealership, which is like none other in this country. Yeah. has a huge music venue. We have parking lot drag racing, 100-foot drags, um, field games, all that sort of deal, which will be followed by, by a three-day scrambler run. And then um, also then this fall, we'll see where we end up, probably on the hot bike tour for a little bit as it comes uh, right through our town. You got it going on, man. (laughs) I don't know yet. (laughs) And, you know, one thing I want to tell our our listeners, a lot of these things like uh, going to Bonneville or your garage, which is (laughs) we didn't describe, is your shop outside your house, which I love. And um, there's a lot of videos on YouTube, so people can really see what your stuff looks like. Um, I really loved all the red cap videos that were done, yeah. good quality videos. Um, so you're you're getting more and more attention, which is really cool. Um, do you do you have anything bigger coming up? Anything planned? Any more? Or just just hitting the shows? No, we're we're gonna we're gonna keep pushing. We're, we're we're just getting started. So as this year comes about, you know, like I said, we have the shows that, that I just mentioned, and then we're just gonna see what comes on. What what happens between now and then? We're we're pretty open and pretty flexible. So you know, something comes up, we want to go do. We're gonna jump on it and and go do it. Right on. Well, we're looking forward to following all that. And you can check out a lot of this stuff at it's 40calcustoms.com, and you spell it right out, right? F-O-R-T-Y. It's 40cal.com. Yep, that's right. Spell it out, just 40cal.com. I got one fabrication question for you before you go. What is your favorite tool in the garage? Man, you know, the tool that I like to run, I like to run a lathe because you feel like you're doing something really important, even if it's just turning out some <laughs> You know, you always look cool running a lathe. Yeah. Like, oh, man, he's, he's really doing something, uh, just like drilling a hole. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially when your lathe was meant to build locomotive engine parts, right? That's pretty yep. cool. <laughs> All right. I got a question for you. Uh, first of all, where, where can we get 40 Cal swag if we wanted to find it online? Or where can we? You, can you guys have 40, like t shirts and stickers and parts? I mean, where, where do we where can get that? Yeah, yeah. We've got some t shirts on 40cal.com. You can go and, and shop there. And then uh, we should be updating some of that stuff soon. So coming up with some new apparel. And uh, you can always hit me up on the, on the Instagrams. Yeah. And so. <laughs> You on Facebook. I'm always accessible. My phone number's everywhere. Call me anytime, and then let's kick it and see what's up. Cool. All right. Yeah. And my uh, my next question is: What you know? Do you do you find you might have some competition this year? Like, who would be your competition at Born Free? Because I'm going to be down there. I want to see what's going as on. As far as like building bikes, 
Yeah. Dude, or maybe man, even I'm, an inspiration, too. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just I'm stoked to be a part of Born Free. That show has been like the really I remember Chase and I went out to Born Free and we were just like little kids standing around <laughs> looking at stuff like, man, this is the scene. And I'm just honored to be there and, and hopefully can bring something to the table that, uh, you know, we can be proud of. Could you build up a, a, a transport car to put your motorcycle in? Can you one up that? Man, that's uh, <laughs> that, that that was a pretty you know tough. What I'm killer. talking about <laughs> both were killer. The car and the bike were both killer, man. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's a tough one to top. Well, cool. I appreciate you uh, coming on our little podcast. I really like your style. There's a lot of builders doing stuff out there, um, and and you really do have a varied taste. I've seen some of the really raked out long Springer stuff to the board tracker and the flat tracker, um, and even just crusty old rusty things. You've yep. <laughs> you've got a diverse taste, but you do have the detail in there. I really love it. And I'm looking forward to see what else you guys are coming out with. Um, and I'm looking forward to see you get challenged and to use an engine from something else. I want to see that two-stroke bike. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> and one thing for sure, I know I'll hear it before I see it. Yeah, so if right. anybody's uh, listening out here, uh, Matt, somebody give him a free uh, motor. Give him a CR500 or a Mako 700 or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So good. Thank you again so much. This has been really good talking to you, and we will keep following you. And I will also post in our show notes a link to uh, some of the videos and to your website. But if people want to see you up at the One Show, because we know we have people going up there, Jim and Doug and Knock are going to be there. Um, So any listeners, you can look for Jim, Doug, and Knock. And then you can also now look for Matt Harris at 40 Cal Customs and check out these awesome bikes. Right on. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. I think we're ready to wrap up. We'll let you go. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Matt. We appreciate right. your time. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, Thanks see Matt. You guys. Yeah. Hey, there. we're looking forward to see you up in Portland, too, man. I can't wait to watch you guys race and connect and maybe have a cold beer or something. Man, I'm, I'm super excited about it. I've never been to Portland, so it's going to be an experience all the way around for me. I want, <laughs> to show, I want you to show these fools how you race down south. You got you to bring it heavy when you come. I want to see the number one on that bike before the end of the weekend. We'll, we'll go for broke, man. <laughs> and my advice when you're racing is keep your tongue in your mouth. <laughs> right. <laughs> you won't have one left if you yeah. don't. Right. <laughs> All, All right, right, cool. We'll talk to you soon. Right, thanks thanks again, We'll man. talk to you later. Have Bye. a good one, man. Thanks. Take care. So that was really awesome talking to him. I know that... Um, the custom bike scene is not as much of our scene here, but like I said, I've been inspired lately once again by Mike and by even like Andy just building an exhaust for his moped. Yeah, your your bike's coming along too yeah, right your now. Your bike man. looks fucking despite, awesome. Despite me like uh, giving you shit about it, it looks like it's going to be pretty awesome. I feel like that's how most custom bikes are, though. Everybody yeah. gives you shit until it turns on and right, drives exactly. away, and they're it's, like, oh, that thing's so fucking cool. Why yeah, did they do it? It's not a custom bike until like at least, what, three people give you shit about it? Absolutely. Typically. I think yeah. that's the, the minimum. Yeah. You know? But the thing, too, um, for people who are just getting into it, um, a great gateway to customizing is going to some of your favorite builders whose stuff you like looking at their bikes for inspiration but buying some of those parts because it starts with just bolting on stuff yeah that's where it starts and that really helps support these artists because that's what they are yep these are artists i'm a hack 
on my stuff. But there oh, are. Don't oh, say that. man, your excess is pretty sweet. Well, yeah, yeah. And, I don't um, know about the paint job, but it's pretty sweet. <laughs> you know, what I I really like enjoyed about talking to Matt is you know we we rip on the the big cruiser bikes, but Matt is is building this bridge between these big you know V twin uh, engines to making them performance oriented, taking these things where you can take them through the mountains and rip on them. I really like seeing this bridge that's happening where you're taking these cool custom bikes and turning them into performance machines. Um, well, he's he's going farther than, you know, uh, is pretty much as far as you can go with them. And I mean, he's not just driving to the coffee shop and, you know, in his brand new shiny bike. I mean, he's, he's in there living it. Yeah, true inspiration. So look for Matt up at the one show and any of the other shows he's going to be at. Shake his hand. He is... He's a country boy. Like, you could just chat with him. He's approachable. I love that about him. Yeah. But, and I also love the relationship with his dad and uh, that they've got that going on. I'm, I'm very envious of that. So I think we're ready to wrap up. Thank you for listening. And uh, you can go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com to find our links to everything you want there. Still got some t-shirts for sale. Um, and I think that's it. This is Liza. This is Doc. Nick and Jim. Mike. And we're out of here. Cool, cool. Later.